I'm glad you're here today. Before we get to our time of, of the sermon, I just want to, uh, we have something to share with you today and I want to give a little explanation for that. Um, did you know that the Seventh-day Adventist World Church, so the, the whole Adventist church community around the world, that we have on that level a mission statement? And you may have thought, well, I'm guessing we do, but maybe you're not familiar with it and I haven't seen it in a while, and so I brought it for you today, and I just want to share, it's a pretty straightforward, very beautiful mission statement. It says, make disciples of Jesus Christ who live as his loving witnesses and proclaim to all people the everlasting gospel of the three angels' messages in preparation for his soon return. That's a mission statement I can get behind. How about you? It's very, very central. We, as followers of Jesus, we want to invite people to also follow Jesus. And part of that is a procla a proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in our mission statement, it's referencing the everlasting gospel found in the three angels' message. And we are called to do this in anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. Did you know that right now on this planet, uh, statisticians say that there's almost 8 billion people living on earth right now? That's a number that's really not easy. We really can't quite grasp what does that mean? 8 billion people on earth. And I just want to say this. None of them are nameless beings to God. God knows all of us. Every single living, breathing being on this planet, he knows individually, he loves them, and he knows their hearts. But even though God knows all of us, not all of us know him. There are millions and millions living on this planet right now that don't even know that God exists Certainly not in the, the way that we understand God and the, the image and the, the revelation of God that we have and we are blessed with. In fact, on this planet even right now, there are still hundreds of languages in which no prayers have ever been uttered in the name of Jesus because their language hasn't even been able to accommodate the idea of the gospel in Jesus yet because it has not reached them. But God says before he returns, it will not be that way. He will know all and all will know him. How will that happen? I don't know. But he tells us this will happen. Matthew 24, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Jesus has told us somehow, some way in his power through his agencies, the church, that before the end, all will have heard the gospel. All will have known the story of Jesus to a degree to choose him or not. That's an amazing thing. 
And that gospel that God wants to communicate has been summarized in the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. Jesus said the gospel will be preached before the end. Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ revealed that before the last days that there will be uh, three angels' messages go forth. It can be seen here in Revelation 14. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven having an eternal gospel, this gospel that is to be preached before the end, to preach to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. Seventh-day Adventist, not wholly uniquely, but in a special way, Seventh-day Adventist Christians have, have long considered one of our callings in the greater Christian community is to proclaim these three angels' messages from the book of Revelation, the everlasting gospel, it is at the heart of who we are and our movement. However, not too long ago, came across a little study statistic that suggested that a large majority of our brothers and sisters in the Adventist church do not know what the three angels' messages are. It's core, it's part of our history, it's in our mission, and yet we have kind of fallen away from having a collective understanding of that message. And so we have a little something to share with you today that you'll receive as you leave worship. And it's just simply this. It's a special edition, Signs of the Times, too loud to ignore, and it unpacks the three angels' messages in a very central way. And so we wanted to, we bought a supply of these for for you, one per family. I don't know how far they will go. At the end of service, we'll share them with you. Uh, you could sit down and read it cover to cover in 30 minutes probably if you just sat down and read. Encourage you to start with page two because it kind of sets it up and just read on through to the, to the back. And uh, we just want to share this as something that is edifying. Something to kind of encourage you, to remind you. To I read it and, and once again myself kind of said, wow, that was a, a blessing. Kind of re-anchored in this important message that we are called to share. Uh, please keep in mind though, as you read it, all three of those messages are part of the everlasting gospel. It needs to be all centered in Jesus, right? So I just wanted to highlight that for you and hope that you're blessed by that and you enjoy that. Uh, today, I want to share some, uh, oh, there's a picture of the magazine. I forgot to advance it forward. Um, so let's take, let's take a moment to pray. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this Sabbath. Thank you for the blessings of resources to be able to share literature like that. Thank you for Alvina's baptism, the songs, the prayer. Just thank you for this moment of worship. Lord, we want to continue in it for a little while through the consideration of your word and how it speaks to our lives and we're just asking for your Holy Spirit's blessing. Lord, give us the gift to be spiritually attentive and to give you our best attentions to he, so that we may hear, Lord, more of you and, and less of me. We're just praying that above all else that your word would speak to our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. So, I want to ask this question, and just by show of hands, don't be shy if this describes you, but do we have anyone here today in our, in our gathering who would call themselves a birder, meaning you're into the hobby of bird watching? You have binoculars, you've got field guides, you really enjoy this. Praise the Lord we have a couple here 
today. I wouldn't say I've ever risen to the level of like a true hobbyist, though I was talking to a friend who is, and I thought, maybe that's something I want to do. I don't know, but I've always enjoyed birds. I think it's a, just a neat part of God's creation. Well, if you're a birder, you may have heard of this bird before, but if you haven't, maybe you're not familiar with this bird at all. The picture on the screen is a beautiful shot of a little bird called a loggerhead shrike. That's the name of the bird, one of its names, loggerhead shrike. And it's a, it's a beautiful little bird. It's about the size of a robin. If you kind of see a red-breasted robin, you know, just about 8 or 10 inches high. So it's not a little tiny bird, not big, but just kind of an average little bird there. And even though this picture doesn't show it really well, but its coat, its feathers are, are kind of gray, a little bit of grayish blue. It's got nice white on its breast and, and the tips of uh, its wings and the tips of its tail feathers are black. And so when they're kind of flying, you kind of see that beautiful black kind of spray. And it's got this really striking black mass that goes, its beak is black, its eyes are black, and its feathers are black. And so it all blends in, and it just looks like it's got a blindfold on. And when you look at this bird, you think, oh, what a happy, pretty little bird. And there is some beautiful things about this bird. However, this little bird has some ugliness to it as well. There's a deceptive side to this little bird. The loggerhead shrike uh, eats a variety of things, certainly little bugs, little critters, but its preferred meal is other birds. Ooh, suddenly not so pretty, huh? Instantly you think, huh, there's an ugly side to this little bird. In fact, the other name for the loggerhead shrike is the butcher bird. Let me tell you how this works. I'm going to show you a picture in a moment that is uh, nature, okay? But here's what happens. So the loggerhead shrike has the ability to mimic sounds, okay? And so it doesn't just have its own call. It has the ability to mimic the sounds of other birds. And so when the loggerhead shrike says, I'm hungry, I would like to have a meal. And what I would really like to eat is another bird. He will mimic the sound of smaller songbirds that are in distress. And so, for example, like a little bluebird. He knows how to make the sound of a bluebird that is in distress, as if it is wounded. Or maybe the sound of a bluebird that is a small, little, tiny bluebird. And when bluebirds hear a distress call from their own kind, they will come to investigate. And so the loggerhead shrike will make this sound in order to deceptively draw in other songbirds and the butcher bird once it finds its prey will like a bird will do attack peck and kill but in an ugly sort of way the loggerhead shrike doesn't have strong talons like a typical bird of prey and so they usually live where there are thorns or barbed wire and they'll take their meal and impale it in order to consume its meal. Yuck, huh? Why would you tell such a depressing story to start the sermon? Well, it's, there's a point to it. There's a point. I'm no Clara Kelly, for starters. Clara brings all the beautiful sides of animals forward, and I brought a little ugly thing forward. But, 
But here it is. This little bird, much of its existence and how it goes about its life is based upon deception. When it sounds its voice, it's a deceptive sound. When it seeks its food, it's using deception. This otherwise attractive little bird has a real devilish deception side to it. Listen, we know that creation is broken. And in this little bird's ways, this little bird's deceptive ways, we see the touch of that brokenness. We see the touch of Satan and evil. The Apostle Peter didn't use the image of a loggerhead shrike. He used the image rather of a lion when he wrote, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's dramatic language, isn't it? First of all, praise be to God that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he has more than conquered this lion that roams around seeking someone to devour. But the text does tell us that we have an enemy. When we put our life into the life of Christ, we inherited his enemy as well. And his enemy, the devil, roams around seeking to devour and to destroy. Jesus later spoke these words in John 10 verse 10. And I personally feel this passage is a pivotal, loaded, important, central passage for any follower of Jesus Christ. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief is that devil, that roaring lion, Satan himself. And Satan exists because of his choices, because of his rebellion. Satan now exists to take from you. He exists to kill. He exists to destroy the lives that we are meant to have in Jesus. And Jesus puts himself up in total opposition to that. Jesus says, no, 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 I came against that agenda of the enemy. My desire is not to steal from you, but to give to you. My desire is not to kill you, but to bring life to you. My desire is not to destroy you, but to build you up. For those that choose him, he gives, he gives life, and he builds you up. And he says, not just life that kind of squeaks by. I want to give you a life here and now that is an abundant life. Even with all the brokenness in this world. Even with all the trials and all the hardships and all the pain and all the difficulties. Even when all of those things assail us. When the lion is nipping at our heels as you were. Jesus says I want to give you a life that's able to rise above that. And even in the course of the misery of this world. You can still have an abundant life in Jesus. As you head towards our ultimate home in heaven. Face to face with Jesus. The Bible makes it clear. That Satan is very much about destroying God's children. And Satan will employ any weapon at his disposal to accomplish that goal. But one of his most dangerous weapons used against us to steal and kill and destroy 
is anger. When we are angry, and I'm not just talking about that moment where we've lost it for the moment, but when we are, we are anger, we're harboring anger. We're possessing it. We're, we're holding on to it. When we're, we're bitter, a little bit bitter or a lot bitter, when we're, we're just kind of locked inside of us, there's this grudges that we're not going to let that go. And we're just committed to those resentment that we hold in our heart. Any level, a little or a lot of anger that we harbor in our souls is a tool in the hand of the enemy to accomplish his goal. I want to tell you a little story about pirates and monkeys. <laughs> the pirate ship had dropped its anchor out past the wave break of a tropical island. And at least a contingency of the pirates and the captain, they get in a boat and they row themselves to shore in part to get supplies. They needed fresh supplies and they were hoping to find them on this island. And, and one of the things they would look for is coconuts. Coconuts are the perfect thing to have because they're contained, they preserve well, there's fresh water in them that is very nutritious, it's delicious, there's even the meaty part of the coconut, there's just a lot of usefulness for a pirate to have. And so sure enough, they see these coconut trees, so they go to that island, they drop anchor, they go on shore, and there up in the tall trees, they see partly what they're looking for, useful, delicious, nutritious coconuts. But they're way too high to just walk up and pick like you might an apple off an apple tree. And none of the men wanted to climb up the trees to retrieve the coconuts because up in the trees were monkeys. And these monkeys had already noticed the intruders. And so they're up in this significant number of monkeys up in these trees, these coconut trees. And they're kind of chattering down aggressively. They're showing their teeth. They're, they're just kind of throwing a little fit. And the pirates say, I don't think I want to go up there. Smart pirates. So they said, what are we going to do? We need those coconuts. And so the captain barks out an order. And if you're hoping I'm going to say this in pirate talk, I'm sorry, you're disappointed. But the captain barks out an order and he says, men, here's what we're going to do. Gather up anything you can find. Stones, sticks, uh, hollowed out coconuts, whatever you can find. Gather them up and throw them as hard as you can at those monkeys. So that's what they did. They, they gathered up whatever they could find and they come back and, and they just began to throw them up at the monkeys as much and as fast and as hard as they could. And how do you suppose the monkeys felt about this assault? Well, the monkeys became angry. They got very angry at these pirates. And in their anger, what do you suppose the monkeys did? In their anger, the monkeys began to pluck the coconuts and throw them down at the pirates. What just happened? When the monkeys became angry, they fell right into the plan of the pirates. And they hand-delivered to the pirates what they were really after. In their anger, they fell to the deception. When we hold anger... 
we, spiritually speaking, there is, there is physical results of harboring anger on our physical well-being. We're not really talking about that today. But on your spiritual well-being, when we hold anger, we endanger ourselves and we play right into the deceptions of an enemy. And I just want to clarify, today I'm not talking about that moment of flash temper, so to speak. I'm talking about harboring anger, holding on to grudges, and maintaining bitterness. Not, not just that moment where you've lost your cool, something has kind of just triggered that moment, and you, you've lost your cool, your temper, and you've gotten anger. The Bible speaks about those moments, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about harboring anger. Listen, there are things that happen in this life that warrant anger as an initial response. There are things that happen in this life that are awful and ought not be. And in that moment, in that immediate kind of experience, anger can be a legitimate response to that. But holding on to that anger over time is destructive to you, to me. Anger is an absolute, legitimate, real, valid human emotion. But when we hold on to deeply set anger, grudges, bitterness, resentments, we are playing into the hands of an enemy. Consider for a moment what King David wrote. He wrote this in Psalms chapter 37 or Psalm 37. He says this, cease from anger. And forsake wrath, revenge. Do not fret. It only, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. David had plenty of adversaries that justifiably provoked his anger. Oh, absolutely. And there were times where he was the one provoking anger and he was losing his level-headedness. But he was very accustomed to people treating him in a way that anger would be a very natural response to. The one that comes starkly to mind is King Saul himself. And King Saul became jealous of David and his victory of Goliath and all that attention. When King Saul knew that he was being replaced in time and David was the heir apparent... King Saul, he is a good example of someone who harbored anger, bitterness, resentment, and it came out in a murderous type way, and he sought to kill David. David knew what it was like to have someone treat him in a way where it could provoke anger, and yet David seems to have learned the importance of pulling away from that anger and not desiring, forsaking wrath, not desiring his own revenge and to learn how to not fret over it because he knew harboring anger is going to lead me into the way of evil. And I want the inheritance of the Lord. I don't want to be cut off. I want the promises of God. In fact, some would say there's a lot of parallels between David and Saul and one of the departures is the fact that Saul harbored anger and David turned it over to the Lord. Cease anger, turn away from desiring revenge because it's an unwise choice. 
and it will lead to evil doing. Reminds me of what James wrote later on in James chapter 1. He said this, 1 verse 20. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It's kind of what David said. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That then is to say the anger of man, harbored anger, bitterness, resentment, achieves the unrighteousness before God. And none of us wants that. It's not easy. Sometimes we feel like we are owed, we deserve to have this anger because of what's taken place. But I think if we're all very honest with ourselves, none of us here says, oh, I, I want to live my life angry. We don't want that. We don't want to live a life that leads away from, from Christ into a cut-off condition. We want to live in a way that is free from that, that opens the doors for our relationship with Christ. Do you have anger? <laughs> Bitterness? Resentments? Maybe just a little bit? Maybe it's all-consuming? Maybe it's a big, big, big thing right now, or, or maybe just here in this moment at the very notion of thinking about anger, something popped up in your mind from years ago and you realize, ooh, I'm still thinking about that. It's just a little part of my mind and my heart, but it's still there. Have you ever struggled with an angry spirit? Maybe in the past. Maybe it's not here right now today, but you know that, oh, in my past, this has taken place I became very angry, I became very embittered, and it took me a long time to journey through that, but it's behind me now, and that's fantastic, I'm thankful for that. But maybe it's right here, right now, in a little way or a big way, maybe right here, right now, you're in this moment where significant anger is consuming your heart and mind, and it's a very difficult moment that you find yourself sitting in. Others have been there. And if you haven't been there, if you're not there right now, can you at least recognize that at some point in the future, you yourselves could very easily, just like anybody else, fall into that snare of harboring bitter anger. If it hasn't happened before, if it isn't right now, it could be. Any given set of circumstances can put you into that place. Because there's no shortage of anger-provoking situations in this broken world, is there? You ever been angry in your workplace? Your boss doesn't treat you right? And you're just angry and you go to work with a smile on your face, but in your heart you're angry at this person? Or, or maybe you are the boss and you have people that, uh, that are under your employ and, and they just don't respond to your leadership and they, they just treat you disrespectfully for whatever reason and it's just so frustrating and you have to be their boss, but you can't stand them, you're angry. And it's festering. Or maybe there was a promotion, right? And you felt like you wanted it. You put your name in for it. You prayed about it. You felt like you qualified for it. You deserved it. And for reasons that are, feels very unfair, it went to somebody else. And you're angry about that. Not me, not angry at that person, but you're angry about that problem. And so work life, there's anger. Or, or maybe the anger was provoked by somebody right here in the church who spoke hurtful or insulting words either to you or behind you. 
And, and you know what I want to say about that? If you have ever been hurt in this church family by somebody, I am so glad that you're here. Because so often when somebody pulls away from this church family or any church family and you actually have the opportunity, they actually give you access to say, what happened? So often somebody talked to me wrong and I'm out of here. And that's just devastating. I'm very proud of the fact that even though maybe something hurtful happened and it made you angry that you're still here. Praise the Lord for that. But it diminishes your experience of church, doesn't it? Do you ever come to church thinking, oh, I, I hope so-and-so's not here today? Or if I, I kind of know where they hang out and I kind of stay on the other side of the building. Anger. That is diminishing your experience of Sabbath and church. These days, maybe you're in a state of anger because of the political climate. That you watch the news. You read this, you read that, this happens, that happens, and, and you see everything that's going on, and, and it's just as you're kind of engaging the, the culture war that is taking place, it just kind of keeps you in a state of anger. I'm just so frustrated with things, regardless of where you fall in those descriptions. I'm just irritated by this, and I live my life just looking for that next news that's going to feed my anger, and I'm hanging on to it. We're closer to home, anger within the family unit. Sometimes moms and dads don't get along. Sometimes siblings don't get along. In my family, there was an occasion where grandparents had died. And in the settlements of estates, two siblings became so enraged and angry with each other, it lasted their lifetimes and never resolved. Anger in the family. Or maybe in your family unit as a very young child, and I'm so sorry if this is the case, but something happened terrible. Legitimate harm, terrible, wrong, stuff that ought not be, should never happen in your childhood experience. And, and, and you can just kind of fill in the blanks in your own imagination. But just things that are wrong, it shouldn't have happened. It was absolutely out of line and it was damaging and it made you an angry person in your heart. And you're still holding on to that. It's destroying you today. Anger can happen within married relationships with your spouse. There's more anger, frustration. You know, marriage means the, an intense relationship. And with, and with the intensity of a marriage relationship, everything that's good is supposed to be even better. But it also means you have more power to hurt and wound as well. And in those marriage relationships, there's unresolved points of contention. There's just lots of anger, maybe not even expressed, but harbored inside. And it's crushing your life, your soul, and your relationship. Or here's one that you might not think about very often, but it, frankly, it hits home with me. Are you angry with yourself? Do you ever hold resentment towards your own self for bad decisions that you've made? And you revisit those bad decisions and you kind of just hold a little anger towards yourself. Why did I do that? Or you just made a, a mistake that, that turned out to be a foolish mistake. And you, you just have a hard time not being angry with yourself for not being smarter, wiser, and making better choices in those moments. And even though they can be a long time ago, every once in a while they come up and uh, you feel that little self-anger all over again. And then finally the last one angry with God 
We're humans. It happens. Something's taken place, some circumstance or, or whatever the case will, may be. You brought it to the Lord. You prayed your heart out. You just kind of totally tried to turn it over to the Lord to ask for his full intervention from his full blessing. And from your vantage point, from your vantage point, you believe that God let you down and you're angry. And maybe it was such a big deal that, that you're just completely angry with God. But more often than not, it just means, you know what, God? That one area of my life, not all my areas, but that one area, you've let me down and I can't trust you anymore. I'm angry with you, Lord. When it comes to that, I'm angry. And we're holding on to it. Just want to let you know, do you know why I referenced all of those scenarios? Co-workers, church, family, self, God, politics. Do you know why I mentioned all of those? Because I have experienced in my own way anger in all of those dynamics at some season or another of my life. And I'm guessing we walk a common walk in this world. I have dealt with anger in my own way and really difficult experiences. But I just want to acknowledge this. There is no doubt in my mind that there are many of you here today who have had to journey through far more difficult matters than I have. That the experiences that maybe provoke anger in your life were far more difficult, ugly, devastating experiences than I have had to journey through. At the same time, I'm certain that there's many here today who've had the good fortune that you haven't had to deal with some of the challenging circumstances that I've had to deal with myself. But look, it really doesn't matter. All of the anger, whether it's a little bit of anger or a lot of anger, whether it's kind of misplaced or completely justified, anger harbored, angered, fretted over, anger that is just bitterness and grudges and resentments, it eats at you it is destructive like rust on steel it corrodes your soul it is damaging to to all of your relationships not just the relationship of the one that may be inflicted the provoking of anger but all of your relationships are affected by it even those who had nothing to do with that experience it still is damaging your relationships with them and it places Serious static in the line between you and the Holy Spirit when there's this big ball of anger in your life. Listen, the issue of anger, it's dangerous. It's spiritually destructive. It will literally eat away your connection with Jesus, literally affect all of the relationships that you could be enjoying on maybe a, full, a more full level in this life right here and right now. That abundant life that Jesus wants to give you, resentment, anger, bitterness, will undermine it. And none of us wants that. Now, wouldn't it be disappointing if I left this sermon right here? said, let's pray. What a terrible disservice that would be. Just, hey, I just wanted you to know that anger is really bad and it will destroy you. Let's go home. That would be a very depressing exodus from church, wouldn't it? Listen, if the Bible reveals to us God's wisdom 
that guides us into the fullness of life that God wants us to have right here, right now. If the Bible reveals to us that anger is a deceptive tool employed by the devil, and if the Bible calls us to, to, to go through the difficult journeys of putting anger out of our life, then it would seem also that certainly the Bible would have some wisdom to offer us on how to deal with anger and bitterness and resentment and indeed it does and I want to share with you some of those insights from the Bible in just a moment but before I go there I just want to I just want to qualify what I'm about to share and that is to say this and I I hope I can communicate this clearly especially if you're someone right now in a real depth struggle with anger I hope that these words can come through that Listen, the Bible's guidance is powerful and truly can impact your life and change everything. Absolutely, I believe that with all my heart. That being said, I don't want to in any way trivialize your anger. Your anger may be sourced in, in deep wounds, awful things. And though I believe God can heal those wounds, I don't want you to think that I am somehow suggesting that, that all you need is a, is a few quick Bible verses and everything will suddenly just be fine. I don't want to trivialize your hurt and your anger to suggest that, oh here, just take a few texts and you should be good now. It's not that easy, is it? I'm not a therapist. I, I don't have all the answers. And, and, and in my own life, I have some of these journeys even now, okay? So though I know that overcoming anger is often a very difficult journey, it is always a challenging journey, I also know that a, a little 10-minute Bible study isn't just going to make it all go away. But I do believe that God's words to us are powerful and worth considering. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that what I'm about to share I believe can be at least helpful to you to, to begin a little bit of biblical strategy to begin to move in the right direction of letting go of anger. A little bit of an understanding from the Bible of, on how to maybe to begin to step away from ceasing to anger, no longer fretting over it in a way that you begin to find some freedom. It's not meant to be a quick fix. It's meant to just be some of the wisdom of God from Scripture. They've been helpful to me, these principles. I hope they'll be helpful to you. So if you're the kind of person that says, ooh, I'm a note taker, I'd like to take to notes, this might be a good opportunity to take your bulletin out and use that little space there on the front. But let me just share with you in a matter of just a couple of minutes some insights. No surprise really, but one of the first things you need to do is just admit your anger. Just acknowledging. Sometimes that's a hard thing to do because we like our anger. We've become used to our anger. We, we're not ready to let it go because we're just not ready to not uh, engage that. It's just become common to us. And there's a real journey to just kind of say to yourself, you know what? I am an angry person. The book of Hebrews says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, meaning God knows your heart completely, 100%.
He knows your anger. If, if you have it, he knows about it already. And one of the first things we can do to begin to turn towards God in a way to seek his help and his, his deliverance, if you will, his power, is just to have that moment where you honestly admit to God, God, I know you already know this, but I need to speak it. I'm an angry person. And I'm trying to be honest about that. He already knows about it. Talk to him about it. Admit that it's something that you want to deal with in your life. First admit it, and then ask for God's help discovering why you're angry. Why are you angry? Seek to understand. In Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, the, the, the sons of Adam and Eve, and they brought their sacrifices to God, and Abel, Abel's was accepted because he did what God asked him to do. Cain's was not acceptable. It was rejected because he did not do what God asked him to do. And the Bible says in the first record, Cain became angry. And God comes to Cain. Doesn't just abandon him in that moment. God comes to Cain. And he says to Cain, even though God already knows, he knew his heart completely. But he speaks these words to Cain. Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? God is willing to come to you and help you wrestle with that question. Why am I angry? Sometimes that's a complicated thing to figure out. Sometimes we feel anger, but we've forgotten really the details of why we were angry in the first place. And sometimes, sometimes we have to acknowledge, am I angry because they were right? And I don't want to confront that. Am I angry because they, they, they struck a chord that I didn't want to be strummed? It's a hard thing to do, but, but God is willing to come to you and to say, hey, let me help work this out together. I know your heart, but let me ask you the question, my child. Why are you angry? And I think we should go to God and say, God, help me understand, really, why am I angry? Help me to understand my own heart and mind. You know it better than I do. I'm reminded of Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, even in dealing with anger, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. The ceasing from anger that is letting go, and it makes no sense that that's even possible, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ask God to help you understand the root of your anger. And then God invites you to give it to him. Give your anger to God. Take my yoke upon you. This is Jesus. And learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Harboring anger is exhausting. Giving it to God brings rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Go to God and say, God, I am an angry person about this. Help me to understand my own heart and mind. And God, I want to give that away. I want to give it to you. Please give me that gentle and humble heart of Jesus. Take my anger and give me rest. Reminds me of King David. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew an upright spirit within me. The next thing I share, there's just uh, two more. Receive forgiveness. That may perk your ears up a little bit, but let me explain. Receive from God renewing forgiveness receive for yourself 
forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The anger of a man leads does not lead to righteousness. The anger of a man, James 1.20, leads to unrighteousness. Confess before God and he can cleanse you from that. Receive forgiveness. Listen, you may have a genuine, legitimate reason to be angry. But anger does not lead us towards the abundant life connection with Jesus. You may have had no part in the experience that caused you anger, especially as a child, as a young person, you were mistreated terribly. Not your fault. Not your responsibility. You had nothing to do with it. Completely innocent. You have reason to be angry, but yet that anger is destroying you more than anyone else. This is kind of hard to say, but little anger, big anger. It's not easy. This is a hard thing to journey through. You may have every reason in the world to be angry when that thing happened, but your choice of harboring the anger is your choice and your choice alone. And harboring anger, I know this is a difficult thing for some. Harboring anger is outside of the will of God. And it's right to say, God, it wasn't my fault. The pain is real and deep. I've been angry for a long time. But I know you don't want me to be angry, so forgive me for holding on. And help me to let it go. Ask God to forgive you for holding on to anger. And I can tell you, that is a hard prayer to pray. But God will bless you for it. And the last thing is to forgive. Having received God's forgiveness, we must be willing to forgive those who have invoked the anger. Hard. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. You. Frankly, this is truly the hardest part of the journey, but it offers the greatest reward. And I don't know if this forgiveness even means restoration with the relationship. Sometimes boundaries still have to be in place. Sometimes uh, distance still has to be maintained. But from your side of the equation, there can still be a release of forgiveness. It's hard. But it comes with tremendous reward of freedom from anger, release from bitterness, and movement beyond the grudges. And this doesn't mean that you are now saying what happened was okay. In your heart, to kind of let go through forgiveness does not mean you're saying, oh, I'm sorry, I misunderstood that. What you did to me, it was fine. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't dismiss the wrong. But it does say, I am forgiving So that that hurt that provoked my anger no longer will hurt me or provoke my anger. I am ceasing from that anger and I'm letting it go as I wait upon the Lord.
Again, it's not just a quick little fix. It's a journey. But those ideas, I think, from the Word of God can very much be a blessing to you. Admit you're angry. Ask God to help you understand the source of your anger. Seek God's forgiveness for holding on to anger where that is a a reality for you and and seek to forgive and, and release the anger that you may be holding. Turn it over to the Lord. I close with this. There's only one being in the universe that has absolute grounds and rights to be angry. Only one being in the universe that has absolutely, absolutely grounds and rights to be angry and that is the person of God who is perfectly holy and is never at fault in a sinful, broken, angering situation. When we rebel against God, he has a right to be angry and wrathful. When we sin, he has a right to be angry. But in the big arc of the story of Scripture, instead of destroying us, he loves us. And he offers restoration. Instead of harboring anger and turning his back away from us, which frankly he would have every right to do, He turns towards us, especially in the expression of God, Jesus Christ. He turns towards us and he embraces us and he's given us his love. His love is a big part of delivering us from anger. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We want to live an abundant life with you. And to the extent that anger is in our life and it's diminishing all that you have in mind for us, we pray that you would help us to know how to overcome and to move away from anger and to be filled with your love. Help us, Jesus. It's not an easy journey, but we know that you'll partner with us and you'll help us find a way through. Lord, I pray that part of the fruit of our time together will that be many here will have a testimony on their lips of how you've given them some victories and freedoms from anger. In your name we pray, amen.